0: Sing.
1: Hi there, and welcome to Voicebox, your weekly guide to the inner workings of the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene here on public radio and podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. Thanks for joining me this evening. Back in Mozart's day, and before he was around, composers of operas didn't go into too much detail about the type of voice they had in mind for a particular role. Most women's parts were simply labelled soprano, even if the roles required radically different vocal qualities to communicate the essence of the characters. Take Mozart's Marriage of Figaro for instance All five of the female parts are labelled soprano, even though Cherubino, the page, a trouser roll, is usually assigned to a mezzo-soprano. Susanna, the ingenue character, is a light soubrette, and the Contessa, a more mature, upper-class character, comes across best when portrayed by a full lyric soprano. Here's a duet from the opera, performed by Lucia Pop as Susanna and Gundula Janovitz as the Contessa. In the aria, sull'aria che soave se On the breeze, what a gentle little zephyr, the countess dictates a love letter for her maid, Susanna, to give to the count, which suggests that he meet her that night. Listen out for the different qualities of the two soprano voices. you've just joined us, welcome. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox Public Radio's weekly series about the human voice. Voicebox is available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes and at voicebox-media.org. We just heard Lucia Pop as Susanna and Gundula Janowitz as the Contessa performing the aria Solaria che soave zeffiretto on the breeze, what a gentle little zephyr, from Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. So we have two very different kinds of role here, requiring two very different kinds of soprano voice. How did opera houses go about assigning the right singers to the right parts back then, when composers simply clumped most female roles into the soprano category? How has the system for casting in opera evolved in the ensuing centuries, and why should we care about any of this stuff? Oh. To help us answer these questions and many more, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by three smashing guests who've journeyed here from the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco. Hello, Sherry Greenwald, Nicola Luziotti, and Nathan Gunn. It's great to see you all. Hi. Thank you.
0: Hello. Hi. Hello.
1: Sherry Greenwald is the director of the San Francisco Opera Center, which is one of the world's major training institutions for rising opera stars. Sherry also has had a distinguished international operatic singing career as a soprano and has performed with the San Francisco Opera, the Metropolitan Opera, the Lyric Opera of Chicago, Paris's Châtelet Theatre and many others. Nathan Gunn is a globe-trotting baritone with many famous opera houses on his resume and title roles like Billy Budd and Eugene Onegin. He's here in San Francisco right now to play Papageno in uh, Mozart's The Magic Flute and he'll be back in 2013 for the premiere of Mark Adamo's The Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Nicola Luisotti has been music director of San Francisco Opera since September 2009 and in 2012 he was named music director of the Teatro di San Carlo in Naples and this summer he's leading the San Francisco Opera's run a Verdi's Attila. Okay, so let's get right down to the facts, or should I say the fachs. <laughs> the whole business of matching opera singers with roles is tied up with this strange German word that sounds a little bit rude. I hope the NPR honchos don't make us cover up every use of the word on tonight's show with a blip. <laughs> so, first of all, a question perhaps for you, Sherry. What is fach?
2: Well, we were just discussing this, in fact. The word fach itself has sort of a couple of meanings in German and but one of them is literally a drawer so you can see how that might mean separating something into a particular space and the other meaning is like a subject so it's in a sense what you're talking about is categorizations Mm -hmm. basically is what we are saying that's what a fach is is a categorization.
1: So what does it mean in in, uh, the world of opera music?
2: it means are you a dramatic soprano a a dramatic coloratura soprano a dramatic coloratura mezzo a <laughs> the the differentiations go on and on so why does this exist well because there are different ranges within certain roles. Like, for instance, there are these Mozart concert arias that go up to high Gs above high C and things like that. Well, obviously, a mere meager little lyric soprano like myself, we didn't have those notes. That G up there was not part of my range. It Mm -hmm. was because everybody's vocal cords has a particular range. And that was not for me so i you, i leave that to the coloratura soprano whether mm-hmm. it be a dramatic coloratura or a lyric coloratura or a french
1: coloratura <laughs> there are lots of different kinds of coloratura so what you're telling me is it's basically a way to to make sure that singers are doing a singing safely within their range or? exactly and that's sort of how
2: the system developed in germany it was sort of a, a way of protecting singers in the german fest system that's Mm -hmm. another word fest meaning fast held (laughs) fast within their system Mm -hmm. um so that so that a, a singer going in wasn't having to sing like Barbarina one night and Brunhilde the next you know that that there was a sort of um agreements made that no you will have to hire more sopranos if you're going to do that much of a variety of repertory.
1: Mm-hmm. What well, can you tell us about the the history? I mean, who came up with this idea in the first place? His name is Rudolf Kleuber. <laughs> Rudolf yes, Rudolf.
2: And I. From my research, I mean, I could be wrong, but uh, it started around ni- in the early 1950s, and this was again a way uh, I think the unions in Germany sort of were insisting upon someone categorizing them so that indeed you could protect singers
1: mm-hmm. in, the 19- in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Was so, and and then uh, there was—you told me there was some American who took it over yes. and made it
2: even more. Richard Baldry. Came up with even more differentiations in the huh. voiced categories because Kloiber, uh, the Germans also, because of the operetta world in Germany, they also uh, differentiated between what they called serious singers and comedic singers. Mm-hmm. So the, he even differentiated sort of, because he says lyric has only worked in the comedic thing, which mm. of course I would disagree with that but mm-hmm. that was sort of how they did it over there whereas Boldry <laughs> goes through and Boldry is finally the one who mentions that lyric mezzo soprano mm-hmm. whereas Cloyber never talked about a lyric mezzo mm-hmm. so like I say it's it it gets complicated.
1: Yeah, well, well, as this this hour goes on, I think things are going to get increasingly complicated. So here's a question for all of you. I'm, I'm curious about the relationship between a particular fach and the kinds of parts that tend to be classified under it. Um, so, I mean, why is it, for example, that it's nearly always the case that ingenues are played by soubrettes, say, uh, and villains by baritones and basses? What is it about, you know, the qualities of the voices versus the characters?
3: I think it has a little bit of something to do with our... We as human beings think of uh, you know high, high sweet voices as being young,
0: innocent essentially and, and naive. <laughs> and naive,
3: yeah. And you know, and sometimes I think uh, uh, lyric mezzos play uh, adolescent boys because almost every boy that age is basically a lyric something. They're not a tenor or a baritone mm-hmm. or anything. So it rings true in our minds and. Mm-hmm basses always, for whatever reason, sound wise or evil. <laughs> I think tenors sound evil personally.
4: Papagena, Papagena, Papagena She's It's useless. Ah, uh, she's lost forever. Guess I was never meant to have by chattering, chattering. I lost my chance, so that's the end of my romance. That's the end of my romance. I will decorate this
0: tree.
1: I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series about the human voice. On tonight's show I'm here in the studio with Sherry Greenwald, head of the San Francisco Opera Centre, San Francisco Opera Music Director Nicola Luisotti and baritone Nathan Gunn. We just heard Nathan performing an aria from the Magic Flute as Papageno. Um, Nathan, you're playing this role in San Francisco right now. What makes it particularly suitable for your voice?
3: Uh, it's well I, like mozart is, is the kind of composer where um, it, it he writes for a, a kind of a basic baritone range uh, you have to be able to in this particular part whether it's in German or in English like we're doing here you have to be understood the text is really important mm. and I think I've had some success at it because I, you, I I'm I'm pretty understandable. <laughs> yeah, every <laughs> word is I'm, clear. Yeah, what I'm singing. So, uh, I think that is that's partially it. But aside from that, I really like the character, and I'm and I I find him very interesting and fun, and uh, one of those one of those characters kind of like it sounds also strange, but kind of like Billy Budd, where when I'm performing it afterwards, I feel like it somehow made me a better person <laughs> rather than a worse person. Um, <laughs> Uh, So that's all part of it.
1: So how have you figured out what kinds of roles suit you best? How do you go about it or how have you gone about
3: it? The the trickiest part for me was a little earlier on where you're developing a career and someone says, for example, the first time I sang Billy Budd, I was asked to sing it three years before the production was happening and I knew I couldn't do it when I was asked to sing it, but I was pretty sure I could do it In three years, Mm. and that, when it comes to decisions like that, I rely on um, uh, kind of a close circle that I work with. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, I I would talk to someone like uh, Richard Stilwell, who had sung it before, or Mm -hmm. Tom Allen, Mm -hmm. Uh, my agent, who has worked with all, has gone through a long series of you know young Mm -hmm. lyric baritones and the development what they you know what they eventually do at what age. and then I then I look at the score. You know, it's not only how heavily it's orchestrated, but it's it's uh, it's also where it lies in your voice. There are certain places that are a little bit more taxing hmm. in your voice. Certain passaggio notes that are kind of tough. They get easier as you get older, for you know, because you become stronger. And um, and then I consider also the house that it's being performed in hmm. and, uh, and and who's conducting it because, you know, some people are better at, you know, with voices than others. Uh, at one point, I remember doing a performance of a new, uh, a, it was a new piece, a John Harbison piece mm-hmm. with uh, the Boston Symphony Orchestra and Jimmy Levine was conducting it. And even with the Boston Symphony Orchestra... They had, he had to remind them constantly that forte and piano, when you're when you're performing something with a lyric baritone and a lyric mezzo, is different than if you're just playing a, an orchestral piece, ah. and all those things come into play.
1: You're tuned into Voicebox. Voice box tonight. We're discussing vocal fach. I'm Chloe Veltman. And if you can't catch the show on air, don't worry. Simply visit voicebox-media.org or iTunes to download our weekly podcasts for free. We just heard the South African soprano Elsa van den Heever singing Einsam in Trüben Tagen, Elsa's Dream, from Lohengrin by Richard Wagner. I'm in the studio for tonight's discussion about casting an opera with Sherry Greenewald, head of the San Francisco Opera Center, San Francisco opera music director Nicola Luisotti, and baritone Nathan Gunn. Sherry, I'd love to hear more about how Fach plays into the training of singers. Elsa van den Heever's case is an interesting one. When the young singer came to the Merela opera program to study, she was a mezzo, but you basically shook up that idea and sort of helped turn her into a soprano. What was it about her voice when she came to Merela that made you think she had been miscategorized? She had no middle. (laughs) She had no middle. A mezzo without a middle.
2: (laughs) So I said, well, that's interesting. Elsa has a very interesting timbre in the voice. It's, it's rather a dark timbre, so I can understand how someone might mistake that timbre for a mezzo-timbre. But um, but for me, it was hysterical because she, literally she didn't have much middle and no chest voice at all to speak of, hmm. basically. So when I left her in a room with Dolores Zajic, and I came back about 10 minutes later and... Elsa was sobbing, and I because Elsa's a tall woman. Elsa's mm-hmm. about five eleven, you know, heading towards six foot. So she just assumed she had to sing pants rolls all her life, otherwise mm. she's not going to get cast as a tall woman. Well, I walked into the room, and Dolores looked up from the piano and said, "She's a soprano." So I said, okay so so um, and and Dolora has very specific ways how she determines these things there are things in the voice called the passaggi yeah. the passaggio notes these are these are where the the larynx is shifting from sort of normal spaces into unusual spaces because the, the the larynx actually rocks and turns to create pitch that's how we do it and so and where those particular little turns happen to sort of create the passaggi in the voice. So anyway, and Elza, she does have soprano passaggi, so that was easier for for her to sort out. Uh, and of course it just takes a while then for Elza to figure out who she is then when she becomes this soprano. I mm. mean, you know, we just, all I care about is as long as she's singing healthily. In other mm. words, as long as she's truly supporting the instrument that she has. And, and Elsa just has a lot of noise, a lot of sound, like that D to A area in that voice. And that's, you know, that's where sopranos and mezzos, I, ever, I mean, most voices have a lot of sound there. And mm-hmm. and so that's, it's. and then it becomes an issue of timbre, um, the range in the voice, how high can she sing? And Elza could always go up to high Fs, you know, mm. she always had that range where she could zoom on up to the high F.
1: Mm. So... So yeah. how how do you go about figuring out a singer's Fach? What the, what techniques do you use?
2: Well, I think it is determining the passaggio points, how, you know, the how cover points you, in the voice. How do you do
1: that practically?
2: You just listen. You are, I mean, if you're a trained singer, you you hear it happen. You just you can tell also if they're not a very you know if you're. They're needing help yet. Oftentimes, when they get to that area of the voice, the voice will stiffen out, and you can tell that they're have you know they're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. Most singers, you know, always have an experience of a little bit of discomfort as they start to learn how to figure out their passaggi. Hmm. So you can, it's it's pretty easy to tell. But it's also wouldn't maestro, wouldn't you say also? And Nathan, you teach voice as well. I mean, it has to do with timbre. I mean, timbre and range, to me, are uh, a big thing. Uh,
5: many times uh, I, m- I met people that uh, d- they forced their passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they try, because people said to them, you are a bus. So they tried to passage to the C, C-sharp. But when somebody else said, maybe you are a baritone, they immediately start to try to do the passage. They opened the, the C-sharp. They try, try to open to D, and oh. they start to cover on the, the, the D-sharp, for mm-hmm. example. But if you start to say, you know, maybe you are a tenor because maybe they have an A natural, they start to open that D sharp and they start to open the E and they try to open F to achieve the B flat or the B natural. I, I saw many, I have... A friend of mine that started as a bass now is a tenor.
0: Huh. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> of course, he was a tenor in the beginning. Yeah, yeah that's more the but case. Yes. No. My, uh, but, but but mentally,
0: mm.
5: when you when people say to you, "You are basso, you really high. You are you really high. You are tenor." <laughs> 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 they start because the the, the study of the is also mentally. Yeah. A mental disposition. Sure. If you are, if you if you ra- if you meet. In the beginning, the right teacher, mm. and you have the right head to study, and you are lucky, yeah. you will be what you are. Huh. The problem is, <laughs> become what you are.
1: But so, is it very often the case that singers turn up for, to, to study or to, to start a program and, and have got it wrong? Because they've been, is it qu- quite common? Yes.
3: Yes. Yeah,
1: it's more common than you'd imagine.
2: Well, like for instance, dramatic sopranos—the real dramatic sopranos, the ones with the heads that are the size of basketballs—and you know, you know, just these huge
5: Anita Cercuetti. Yeah,
2: and all these,
5: you know, head like this.
2: Yeah, big head.
5: Yes. Well, and but
2: those singers, you know. If they grow up in America, for instance, so you, you usually start to sing in choirs in high schools. Well, this big voice, the choir teachers in high school, they don't know what this thing is. It's mm. a big animal. And so they have them singing second mezzo. Mm. I mean, I've had a lot of girls that come in to me that end up having these big sort of more dramatic sized mm. voices as sopranos. They sang like second mezzo menzo in Mm -hmm. choir because they wanted to hide that voice and so they often get mislabeled early through choirs yeah, hmm. or they're
3: lazy i mean i was lazy. Lazy. lazy i always sang bass when i was in a choir because i huh. just didn't want to put the effort in <laughs> <Of> course. <laughs> <laughs> you know. so
1: there are a bunch of books and tools out there that attempt to help singers and their teachers figure out what types of role are best suited to their voices and we had some fun a few days ago sherry playing around with a website descriptively called Fachme. me <laughs> mm. it's the brainchild of uh, the local baritone jordan eldridge sherry can you t- talk us through what Fachme does and how successful a tool it is in, in helping delineate roles according to the voice type? Well, I guess I sort of
2: put in a role that's sneaky. I The the role I put down is sort of what was... And it was central in my career a little bit was Mimi in La Boheme. Mm-hmm. So you typed this into the search engine? So I typed this into the search and then they asked for some other roles mm. and I think I put down Donna Anna which was also very central in my career and I can't remember what else I put in. But because of those roles, he, all of a sudden, this fuck me, <laughs> a website, um, had me though in a much heavier fuck. I mm-hmm. mean, all of a sudden, I was seeing things on that list that I would never, You'd never saw, touch, right? that I would never touch. But it's because Mimi being that role that's in Bohem, where it gets cast different ways, and so I guess someone's, you know, someone's opinion on what voice is suitable there can vary because everyone from Renata Tebaldi the great Tebaldi was fabulous Mimi but M- Mirella Freni a much a, a, a little lighter voice
5: or uh, Angela Gheorghe. Or Giorgio, you, know, you know
2: these lighter instruments so i it may have been a red herring for the system that mm. he set up i guess the shortcomings And, and of, of course Donna Anna technology. the Mozart some of the Mozart roles get cast it's very very it depends ways.
5: How, how do you cast all the people on uh-huh. the side what is, we were talking before in, 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 in the car. what is important that you that the cast is balanced. Mm-hmm. I mean all the voices are the same heavy. Because if you you get w- one guy with a heavy l- voice, lyric voice, you can the same lyric voice but lighter, you will see the difference. You will say, Oh my God, this voice maybe is dramatic. No, it's lyric but big voice. We have not confused louder and dramatic.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I'm I'm getting here, of course, and this is the hot. We've been moving towards this point is that the fucking of voice is extremely tricky and complicated and convoluted, and it's very often the case that voices defy categorization, Um and. And as we've already discovered there are many parameters involved in casting beyond vocal quality such as the size of the house uh, or the way a performer looks Um, and it's simply often the case that not all voices lie squarely in one category or another take the Russian soprano Anna Netrebko for instance who said in an interview in 2006 that from the time she started to study her voice had always lain between two fachs, coloratura and lyric soprano and um, it's not unusual for her to sing in different fachs uh, in the same season. For example, in one season at the Met a few years ago, Netrebko sang both Mimi in Puccini's Bohem, a lyric role, and the coloratura Elvira in Bellini's Puritani. Let's listen to the performer saying arias from both of these operas now. You're tuned into Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman. Don't forget you can access our free podcasts, playlists and all kinds of other useful info about our series at voicebox-media.org. On this evening's voice box, we're discussing the art of opera casting. It's a very subtle art. And I'm in the studio with baritone Nathan Gunn, Nicola Luisotti, the music director of the San Francisco Opera, and Sherry Greenewald, the director of SF Opera's training operations. We just heard two performances by a singer whose voice refuses to sit neatly in one fach, Anna Netrebko. So, um... Is Zwischenfach the right word to describe Natrebko's multifach abilities? And if so, please can you tell us more about what that term means? Well, I would say that Zwischenfach really probably... I
2: mean, Natrebko is a soprano. Yeah. So, I mean, I think she sort of falls into that. She's a lyric soprano and, you know... Uh, the Puritani, while it has a lot of coloratura in it, is still basically a lyric role. So I would say she's, she is more within one Fach than she mm. might. Okay, so not <laughs> not truly in between. Yes, not truly. Yeah. I mean, more the the typical division Fach I would say is the, is that crazy person who is really good for like the componiste in Ariadne of Naxos. Mm. It's it's sort of it's sung by mezzos, it's sung by sopranos, but it needs that voice that can sit in that and really punch out good A's. They have to have a really good A. And you need that voice that that's where their climax is really secure and happy. Mm -hmm. And so that is, I would say more this, this the I the term mostly I hear it used for that person that lies between the mezzo and the soprano range. Mm -hmm. mostly that's what I would say so Nathan
1: I watched Mm. an interview that you did with Stephen Colbert a while back and Colbert was asking you lots of inane questions and hardly letting you get a word in edgeways but one thing that made me laugh though was how Colbert introduced you he said Nathan Gunn is a baritone but when I'm done with him he'll be a soprano (laughs) Uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting day when Mimi becomes part of your repertoire but um, have you ever performed roles that are generally believed to fall in in different farts
3: oh let me think have
2: you ever done the baritone version of Verter for instance?
3: no but I'd like to do the baritone version of Verter the only problem with it is that, I mean the one the one role that I can think of that I had been asked to do that is done by both tenors and and uh and baritones is Peleos. yeah oh. and 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 this is a really sort of bad I love the opera and part of the reason why I haven't done it is because when you learn it you don't when you know it really well you don't watch it the same way Mm. anymore and i felt in some ways it would spoil the enjoyment of it and the other reason is just that whenever i've asked to do it it, it's always like six weeks of rehearsal and three performances or something like that Mm. you know and it takes up a a huge chunk of time um uh besides that not really the well and this is this we're getting into a completely different category here but Recently, at uh, Lyric Opera of Chicago, we did uh, *Showboat*, mm-hmm. which was the first American musical theater piece, really, the one that sort of set the stage for all of them to come. And Gaylord Ravenal, the part that I did, was actually written for a tenor mm. first, or kind of a baritone tenor, a baritone tenor, or whatever. And usually in musical theater, those guys are tenors who don't know how to sing high. Mm. But you can use a baritone, much like um, I did with Antony and Sweeney Todd. It's a tenor on Broadway, but in the opera world... You need to make more sound, so it's mm. like the they they put the <laughs> they'll have a baritone do it because we produce more sound higher in in those F and F sharp areas mm-hmm. than a tenor would. It's kind of s- silly in some ways, um, but that part uh, Gaylord Ravenel was actually a one of the harder roles I've I've ever sung to mm. be honest because it was it had to be lyric and yet sustained higher than what i'm generally asked to do Hmm. i'm usually asked to kind of pop up there every once in a while and come back down but this was sustained a a high Hmm. stuff and you know screaming out a flats for me i mean i can do it but you know it was it was one of those where i finally understood what tenors are talking about where they just like just open your mouth up and just that you got to go for it there was no sort of halfway and um but yeah those, those would be the rules i suppose
1: well, now there are some singers who completely defy the fach categorizations because they're such superstars and they can pretty much sing whatever role they please. Um, such is the case with legendary singers like Maria Callas and Placido Domingo. Um, let's hear Callas and Domingo say contrasting roles now. First up, we'll listen to Calas performing an aria from Bizet's Carmen, which is a mezzo part, L'amour est un oiseau rebelle, followed by the dramatic coloratura stylings of Bellini's Norma. The aria is Casta Diva. And then we'll hear Domingo singing a baritone aria from the Barbara of Seville in the role of Figaro, and followed by Ein Schwert verhiss from Wagner's Die Walkure. And here Domingo performs Siegmund, a heroic tenor role.
0: The quality of
1: This is Voicebox, and I'm Chloe Veltman. On tonight's show about vocal fach, or casting, I'm chatting with three esteemed guests from the opera world, Nathan Gunn, Nicola Luisotti, and Sherry Greenewald. We just listened to four excerpts performed by two superstar singers, Maria Callas and Placido Domingo, who, by virtue of their brilliance and fame, have been able to jump seemingly effortlessly from fach to fach. And for information uh, about the playlist, please visit voicebox-media.org. So I thought it might be a fun thing to take a little step away from the classical world for a moment to see if the fach classification system might, for the sake of a lark, be used to categorise other kinds of non-classically trained voices. We'll hear a few short musical excerpts performed by a range of famous singers now, and then I'll ask my guests to figure out what fach the voices we hear fall into. The singers we're about to hear are, in order, Odetta, Elvis Presley, Joni Mitchell and Jimmy Somerville.
2: Yeah, it's a little
3: swallowed. <laughs> well, that's another. That, well, that's another weird thing is if the person doesn't have like healthy vocalism, you can't always tell.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right? I think she's a mezzo.
1: So what kind of voice
5: is it? It is a beautiful. <laughs> yeah, beautiful voice. What oh, fuck is it? <laughs> it's a lyric baritone. Lyric
1: baritone? Lyric baritone.
3: Yeah. Probably, yes. I know but that because if I, if I ever do karaoke, I always have to sing Elvis songs because oh, really? they're the right key.
1: What's your favorite one to do?
3: Oh, I don't know. Uh, probably uh, Blue Soy Shoes.
4: Huh. falling in love.
2: She sang in my range. She's a
3: soprano, soprano. but what kind
1: yeah. of soprano? No,
3: probably. I mean, probably a think. lyric
1: soprano. Yeah, like, she make that much choice? She sounds to me—I'm I'm not that I'm an expert on these things isn't she sort of subbretti? No.
2: A little. Well, she uses
1: she uses sort of a falsetto-y
2: kind of, uh, yeah. you know. She <laughs> like pulls into her head voice easily. Yeah. yeah. So in a sense, yeah, she is sort of soubretti. Yeah. That's yet. another
3: thing, is that the smaller voices record really
5: well, yeah. so they yeah. don't want to make yes. a ton of sound. true.
3: Oh, very that's true. very true. You
5: you you never, for example, when you when you listen Andre Bocelli in recorded, you it's think fantastic. that he has uh, he has a big voice, and mm. uh, he has not a big voice. He's normal, no, but it records know, very well. I very know well. him very well, and, uh-huh. and uh, he has a nice voice, but small.
1: And then yeah. they put a mic in front of him. Mic and it's in different. front of him, yeah. he
5: becomes big device, yeah. but. But it's normal. I mean, he's a product of our time. Yeah, yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 you sound like a
1: counter-tenor now?
5: Yeah, that's no <laughs> it. Yes.
1: Money <laughs> gets going. Yeah, we got. We'll hopefully.
5: You know, you know I, lately I heard the one of the most beautiful voice of soprano, male soprano ever, Alexander Antonenko. Huh. That is a fantastic tenor. He sang for me as a soprano,
1: and your heart melted.
5: You can't imagine the sound uh-huh. he has. It's not falsetto. He's huh. huh. a real voice. Huh. As you you close your eyes, and you are hearing a castrato, Farinelli. That's so really? crazy. Huh. With big, big voice, as dramatic soprano.
1: What about this voice? He's a tenor. How would we? This one's a, a tenor. He's a
5: tenor with a good falsetto.
2: Good falsetto. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, he's
2: singing. Yeah, I mean, this is when you know. I always like Nathan said. You know, people say, "What is a countertenor?" Well, you're listening to one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's okay. singing
1: in counter. He sings in countertenor range. So one thing I've found interesting is that when I've been reading up a little bit on this subject of Fach, um, the, the categorizations seem to be seem to exclude countertenors. Actually, they don't seem to come up in a lot of the. The guides. So well, why is I that? think that's because in when this guide was being written back
2: in the fifties, they weren't doing Handel as a rule. Mm. Nobody was producing Handel until the revival happened, and so we didn't have any need for them. We didn't. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't talking about counter tenors back then. I mean, hmm. that's become
1: that's come into fashion in the last twenty five years. Yeah. I would say. You know? So, so has there been an attempt uh, in in recent times to categorize counter tenors, or not really? Well, so, there yeah. are
2: categorized yes. yeah, categories so for counter tenors. Definitely, you know. And and the counter tenors are always these incredibly smart guys that go back and do all this research. And so they discover what they have to do is they have to go back and find which castrati. This was written for because mm. these these castrati had very different ranges, mm-hmm. and so they always have to go find out because there are alto tenors, there are sopranists,
5: there's mezzos. coloratura, it's the same. But they don't really have voice. any that are loud, though, right? Like dramatic ones. Do they? Oh, I've heard some pretty loud <laughs> ones. You to, to have a loud voice in, in, in a, in a, in a countertenor, you need to cut some part of the That's body. what I figured, right? Well,
1: I and don't you know. will have everything you <laughs> need. I, I want to <laughs> play a, a clip right now from Philippe Jaruski, and he's a, a countertenor who I think of as being quite powerful. You're tuned into VoiceBox, and I'm Chloe Veltman. VoiceBox is available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes and at voicebox-media.org, where you can also find loads of great info about our series, including playlists and schedules. That was the wonderful French counter tenor, Philippe Jaruski, with an aria from Siface by Nicola Porpora. Our time for this evening is, in fact, drawing to a close. Sadly, um, but I guess I'd like to end by asking the three of you if you have anything you'd like to say by way of summary about this whole casting/fach business, or perhaps piece of advice to offer singers trying to figure out what roles they should sing.
3: I think um. I'm, I'm not. I think the Fach system came out of you know uh, the German system and the German idea of wanting to categorize people. And what I would suggest to, I, I suppose, singers who are learning is learn how to sing well, and it will all make sense. Okay. And, you know, and I suppose you are then in whatever fach that you get paid to sing in. Okay. <laughs> if you're not getting paid, you're not in the fach.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. but,
3: well,
2: I, I just will say that. There are as many fox as there are singers because every everyone's larynx, everyone's anatomy is so unique. And so everyone's timbre is their own. Everyone's range is their own. Everyone's tessitura is their very own. And I would agree with Nathan. Just learn how to sing as well as you can. Learn, Get your technique organized. That's critical because I can't... F- you if you don't have your technique in order that's, that's true. just true you don't
3: you oh have to <laughs> yeah.
1: the, and, and, on, that the, note, that's and right. on that note don't put
3: the fuck before the voice right <laughs> okay so on that note i'd like to
1: thank my wonderful guests sherry greenewald nathan gunn and nicola luisotti for joining me for tonight's excellent discussion it's been wonderful chatting with the three of you thank you chloe thank you very much To find out more about upcoming productions at San Francisco Opera, please visit sfopera.com. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Sophia Vo is our development director. We need your support. Become part of Voicebox's inner circle of vocal music lovers by setting up an ongoing pledge for as little as $5 a month or give a one-time gift. Either way, donating to Voicebox is safe, easy and tax-deductible through our online PayPal link or send us a check in the mail. Write to us with any show ideas, comments or questions like where can I mail my check at info at voicebox-media.org and please follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook. I'll play us out with one more aria performed by tonight's guest, baritone Nathan Gunn. Here's Nathan as the title character in Benjamin Britten's Billy Budd. The aria is And farewell to ye old rights a man. Have a songful week.